Hello and welcome back to the Weed Wild and Woke podcast. My name is Nina. It is good to see here. Pretend that you're here. See all of you guys again. Um, I'm doing much better. Oh my gosh. We'll do a quick little check in this week. I hope you've had a good two weeks. I did miss last week's episode. You know what? Life happens. I'm not even going to apologize for it anymore. It is what it is. I'm doing my best, but we're back. We're here. Um, I don't even know. This last week has been really good um, in terms of just catching you up on what's happened. I finally made the effort to call and find a therapist. So I'm really excited that I will be going back to therapy, getting some more tools to kind of deal with my anxiety and some of the life issues that we've had happen the last couple of months and just get some tips and tricks. And I'm very grateful that in California, at least um, in the area that I live, there is a very he- uh, heavy emphasis on mental health. And so the insurance that I receive covers everything mental health related. Um, I went through a few screening processes. They gave me options for wh- basically they allowed me to choose what or who I would be visiting. Um, so they gave me a bunch of options and I had to do some research and pick someone what that was the best fit for me. And I haven't met with them yet, but I'm just really excited that all the phone calls have been made. If you have anxiety like me, then you know how difficult it is to make phone calls. Uh, I hate being on the phone. So if you have anxiety, it's, I mean, I think most people hate being on the phone nowadays. There's very few people that like enjoy talking on the phone. So I'm just glad that all that is over with. It's 90% of the reason that I don't get things done is because if I have to make a phone call, I will literally procrastinate and put it off until I cannot put it off anymore. So I'm really glad that that's over. Um, There's been a lot of other little changes, you know, the internet's still been acting up. I've just been doing some research on things and just trying to get everything back on track. I'm feeling good though. I feel really good. I feel like we're slowly coming out of whatever happened this winter that just really brought me down. I'm feeling more motivated. I'm getting up and I'm accomplishing things every day, um, which may not sound like much, but for someone with anxiety and or depression um, or any other mental illness, sometimes those simple things are very difficult to do. And so just getting up and accomplishing things and crossing them off your list can be such a burden off of your shoulders. And recently, my partner and I uh, worked through some trauma and some concerns that we had and it was very difficult and for a brief moment you know we thought we weren't going to make it out of that dark place Uh, we had definitely discussed potentially parting ways Um, and as you know you know we're engaged and we were able to come together and figure it out and Needless to say, you know, things happen in relationships and no relationship is perfect and we are all human and we are all subject to making mistakes and, you know, it just comes down to how much you want to be with that person, how much you're willing to work on it, to figure it out and get on the same page and that's a very deep topic that we can save for another day, but 
all in all, um, surface level, we figured it out and we're back on the same page and we're in a really, really good and healthy place. Um, communication was everything. So I'm so grateful. Uh, it's been rough, but it's been very enlightening. And I feel like I've grown in a lot of ways as a person because of it. So I'm very, very proud of our progress. And obviously, like I'm getting more creative again. I'm I'm back to just doing the things that make me happy and not apologizing for it. So I'm very excited. I've been streaming again. If you caught my Twitch stream the other day, we did manage to finish Ori. I'm going to take a little, this isn't what the podcast is about today, but I am going to kind of go off the track today just to mention, like if you have anxiety and you listen to this podcast because you have anxiety or, or you relate to it in some way, I'm sure you understand. Like when I Twitch stream, I like to have a plan, right? And my plan was to finish Ori and the blind, uh, I think it was the blind forest, and I've been planning this for like months. I want to say like I've been working on this for at least six months. And the only reason that I haven't started playing a new game on stream is because the anxiety part of my brain has been telling me that I cannot continue unless I finish Ori because I like to do things in segments. I like to do them consequentially and I like to do them uh, in their entirety before skipping around and moving to a bunch of different games and kind of getting lost in what I was working on and what, you know, it's just not how my brain works. So when I tell you how difficult it has been to try and stream Ori and finish it so that I can move on to other things, it has been a struggle. So now that I finished it on stream, I can finally move on to different games. Like I have Little Nightmares. I've been wanting to finish Little Nightmares and try it out. I've never played it. I have Little Nightmares 2, which is a co-op game that I've been wanting to play with Glenn. And that's been on the back burner. And, you know, I recently, uh, my partner got me a PS5 um, after all of our arguing and everything. He went out and he bought me a PS5. Not the healthiest way to deal with things. And you do not have to buy your partner things after an argument to make them feel better. However, it just so happened that he was able to find a PS5 available at our local Target. And, you know, we had just gotten through this this difficult rough time and he decided to buy me a ps5 which i am so grateful for i'm so happy so grateful thank you so much so now i have this ps5 that i can like download games on and start to stream once i get a capture card and like you know things are moving again i'm getting excited i'm i'm getting excited to create my uh close friend is we weren't able to do her maternity shoot because as if you didn't know, I do photography as well. Um, not professional or anything by any means. I'm very amateur, but it is a passion and a hobby of mine. And so I have done graduation photography and, um, you know, personal photography, artistic photography. So I was supposed to do my best friend's maternity shoot, but, you know, life happens and she got very busy and now she is due actually tomorrow. Um, for me, it is Saturday, so tomorrow would be Sunday. By the time you're hearing this podcast, if you're listening to it on the day that it comes out, it would be Monday. So today it's Saturday. My friend is due tomorrow. 
uh, I am the godmother to her baby, so we obviously didn't get the maternity shoot in, but I'm really excited to shoot the postpartum pictures um, of them too. So I really feel like juices are flowing and it hasn't been like this for like, it feels like forever that I have been able to just be creative. So when I tell you things get better, just hang in there. Um, I feel like I'm on the upswing again and there is light at the end of the tunnel again. I'm kind of clawing my way out of this dark hole just by getting little things done here and there. So I'm very proud and very happy and very productive. I'm sorry I wasted so much time, but I'm just, I've been so excited that things are moving forward again. Anyway, back on track to the point of today's podcast uh, is attachment styles. I did go into last podcast a little bit about how I'm struggling with living with my parents and there's a lot to unpack there. And I was inspired by the holistic psychologist who I've mentioned several, several, several times on this podcast. I follow her religiously. She has books out. She's a psychologist. She's a social media presence that is really focused on people becoming self-healers and doing the work on their own, not necessarily needing to go to a therapist, although I do not condemn going through to a therapist. I still think it's so valuable and important, but she does focus a lot on self-healing because obviously not everybody, uh, you know, is able to go to a therapist, wants to, has the courage to, whatever the reasoning may be. Not everyone makes it into therapy, right? So, one of the things that she was talking about this week that really resonated with me was attachment styles. Uh, she's been talking a lot about anxious attachment. And this really hit home because I feel, let me, let me try to break it down for you. I feel like all of this talk about how I kind of struggle with my parent figures and living in a household with them right now, it triggers a lot of things. And then when me and my partner got into an argument the last week or whatever, it kind of made me realize that a lot of the things that I picked up in childhood, probably my anxious, or anxious and or avoidant attachment style has kind of made its way into my adult relationship with my partner. And I do not think it's a coincidence that all of the struggles and things that I've been experiencing with my parents, it's it's no wonder that that we kind of it, it all kind of exploded in this like overwhelming rush of emotions and just stress and like the, the volcano just finally erupted in my relationship where all the stress and anxiety you know was making my partner miserable it was making me miserable and my partner was miserable because i was miserable and i just couldn't find my way out of that really dark place and it was starting to affect my relationship um and i don't think it's a coincidence that those things come up in my relationship while i'm living under the same roof as my parents as an adult woman who is in a relationship who is engaged and trying to um, navigate her own relationship as well as her parents' relationship under the same roof. So you can understand how this all probably starts to melt together in this melting pot of just like issues, right? So I thought it was very interesting to kind of look at it from that angle. Like, wow, we're still dealing with the aftermath of kind of 
this attachment style that I've learned in childhood with my parents, and I'm starting to see it manifest itself in issues in my relationship. And, you know, it's right in front of my eyes, like I couldn't get better life experience because it's literally happening uh, as I'm learning about it and reading about it and educating myself a little bit further on it. It's just so crazy to see how these things really do manifest themselves in adulthood. And so I do want to go into it a little bit more in depth today. And so if you've never heard of attachment styles, I hope this is enlightening for you at least to get curious about it. I am in no way, you know, these are all the disclaimers before I start, like I'm in no way bashing my parents for decisions that they made, make or continue to make in the future. Um, Just because we don't have a good relationship doesn't mean that I don't like care about them on some level. I don't, you know, that's, it has nothing to do with who they are or how they are. It's just me trying to heal myself from decisions that they've made. So in no way am I, you know, putting them down or anything. I'm also not a doctor. So don't take anything that I say as like psychological advice or anything like that. I'm just speaking from my experience and what I find to be true and what I found in my research and, you know, the things that I learn in my life journey. Um, if they apply to you or appeal to you, you know, maybe there's some similarities there. I encourage you to always do your research, seek a therapist if you are not able to manage your emotions or, you know, if you're in a in a place where you can't see the light at the end of the tunnel, I always encourage you guys to get mental health help um, from someone who is qualified. And um, yeah, I think that's it. I'll give any more disclaimers as they come up. But, you know, this is just something that I've kind of been noticing lately and obviously I have my degree in psychology so it's always interesting to kind of unwrap these things but overall there is something called attachment styles um and this is this is not a new concept um a a social psychologist named Roy Baumeister uh came up with this idea that humans have this driving force a main force that drives individuals and humans and it is the need to belong so I think it's pretty easy to understand, right? I mean, if you're listening and you're like, I don't need to belong to anybody, like there is an instinctual, I think, survival mechanism that we need to belong, right? And I think it, even if you're not consciously aware of it, I do think it's kind of built into our DNA that we need to belong because we need to feel loved by someone. There is a instinctual need to want to you know reproduce and do all the humanly things that we're put on earth to do um and at our most animal and primal instinct it is to feel included feel part of a group to you know reproduce to leave a legacy to continue um humanity basically i think there is like a primal need for that and so I do think that it's important to keep that in mind as we move forward. Like there is a need to belong and and sometimes that gets skewed in childhood when we have parents who don't provide that need or don't satisfy that need, I should say. Um, So it is believed that relationships with parents during childhood influences intimate work, Um, personal relationships later in life. And I I do find that to be true. There's a lot of research to support it that we do form our attachment styles in childhood. And a lot of the, the background theory for this is that, you know, 
as a baby, we have needs, we cry because we need food or we need milk. Um, We cry because, you know, we went in our diapers and we feel dirty. And as a baby, we might not understand all that, but there is a need that we have as as babies and as children. And there isn't a desire to have that need filled by our parents, right? So some parents will be very, um, I don't know, catering to that need. You know, if we cry because we're hungry, they will come and they will pick us up. They will coo us. They will feed us. They will change our diapers. And there's this kind of expectancy that they're going to do that as babies, right? And then as we grow up and we become infants and toddlers and children, um, that need does continue, but in different ways. It's not always those very simplistic things like needing to change our diaper or needing to be fed. Then we start um, discovering that we have emotional needs that we that we need as well. And, you know, just based on the type of parent, like there's no wrong or right way to parent, but sometimes the decisions that parents make in our childhood do affect us later in life. And I think it is important to be conscious of that, whether you are trying to analyze yourself as the child who didn't receive those needs, or I think it's important if you are a parent to kind of think about how you're providing those needs for your children, right? So if you're trying to better yourself and you're trying to create a secure attachment style for your children, I think it could be an interesting way to kind of look at it to try and do better for your kids. You know, if you didn't have a secure attachment style and I don't have children yet, but I know my attachment style and I think I know why I got the attachment style that I have now. I think I understand where along the lines I created that attachment style. And I'm very aware of that. And I want to be aware of that as I move on to have children and I teach my children, you know, their attachment style. And I want to be aware of everything that I'm doing so I can try to help them create a secure attachment style. And so I think it's it's, uh, positive and it's helpful to understand these things from both perspectives. If you don't plan on having children, then that's fine. Um, You know, it's always nice to do some introspection and do some work on yourself and see how your childhood attachment styles may be affecting you in your current relationship or even your work relationships. Like I said, those you're not limited to, even if you don't have a partner to intimate relationships, they can be in any relationship, they can manifest themselves. So it's always important to be aware of those things, I think. And there's four different attachment styles, which we'll go over uh, briefly. One of them is the anxious attachment style. Typically, people with anxious attachment styles have typically, okay, this you're not going to have every single one of these. You may have a few, you may have none, um, and you may pull a couple of the traits from across different attachment styles. The key here is just kind of understanding where you fall on the spectrum personally. Like I can't tell you, you know, I I would say do your own research and I'll talk about how I feel like mine affect me um, a little bit later. So just keep that in mind. But people with anxious attachment styles tend to have a negative self-image. They tend to have a positive view of others, but you know, not themselves. They tend to seek approval. Uh, They might be yes men. They might be people pleasers. They seek approval, support, and responsiveness from their partner. They value relationships highly, but they may worry that their partner is not fully invested and they have strong fear of abandonment where safety is their priority. 
Then you have an avoidant attachment style. These people tend to be lone wolves. They tend to be strong, sufficient, um, both physically and emotionally. They tend to have high self-esteem, a very positive view of themselves, which is almost opposite to anxious attachment styles, but are not separate. They don't typically need to be in a relationship to feel complete. They are self-fulfilled. They drive themselves. They they don't need nobody else, you know, like they're very independent, hyper-independent. They don't depend on other people. They avoid closeness. They hide or suppress feelings when they're faced with an emotionally dense situation. So um, they tend to just kind of go inward instead of outward to self-soothe and support themselves. And so they tend to, you know, it's it's you can kind of make the correlation between the name. They're very avoidant, right? The third attachment style is disorganized. These people typically want intimacy and closeness, but at the same time experience trouble trusting and depending on others. They don't regulate their emotions very well. They avoid strong emotional attachments and they have a very large fear of getting hurt. Um, it sounds very similar to anxious attachment style a little bit, um, but they have a little bit more trouble trusting other people, um, and they obviously have a little bit more trouble regulating their emotions. And then the, the fourth type of attachment style is secure. These people are comfortable expressing emotions. They depend on their partners. They let their partners depend on them. They are typically very honest, very tolerant. They are emotionally um, mature. They thrive in relationships, but they also don't fear being alone. So they're healthy, right? They can thrive in a relationship, but where they're lacking a relationship, they're also okay. They're not feeling like they can't, you know, live in this world without depending on somebody else. They're, they're very independent both ways, in a relationship and out of one. They don't fear being alone. They don't depend on approval or a positive view you know, from other people. They have positive views of themselves and they don't rely on external sources to validate that for themselves. So that would be a secure attachment. Very rare, I'm sure. I'm sure there are people who have secure attachment styles, and I don't think it's impossible to think that you can achieve that one day if you happen to be one of the other attachment styles. So those are the main four. Um, if one or several of them sound like they resonate with you, then that's probably true. Um, I feel like I, uh, I feel like I'm a mix a little bit of anxious, avoidant, and disorganized. I feel like I would have to like dig further into it and talk to a therapist about which one I'm probably more like, but on the surface, I feel like I, I definitely, I exhibit anxious attachment styles, avoidant attachment styles, and sometimes probably disorganized, but almost never secure. So that should tell you like <laughs> the attachment styles that I developed when I was a child were not very healthy. Um, and whether I'm one or all three of those attachment styles, at the end of the day, I'm not a secure attachment style. And so there's work to be done. And I'm okay with admitting that, you know, it happens, whatever. <laughs> and the holistic psychologist, again, follow her religiously. She had an Instagram post recently that resonated with me and it read that attachment style creates particular dynamics that we relate to other people in relationships as adults. So we relate this in our adult in our adulthood, but it, it, the basis does come from childhood. So it's nothing that happened in your adulthood. It's how you 
behave in relationships based on your childhood relationships and that the core is being raised in an, in an environment that is emotionally neglectful, inconsistent or chaotic where a child cannot fully develop a sense of self, which I feel like is 100% me. I feel like I have uh, an anxious attachment style because I was raised in an environment that was pretty emotionally neglectful, um, inconsistent, and chaotic. Um, it wasn't always my parents' fault. My mom, as I've mentioned before, also has generalized anxiety disorder, um, and she had it in a time where mental health, it wasn't as educated and open about anxiety as it is nowadays. I feel like in the 90s, um, it was still a very new concept. There was still a lot of new research coming out about it. And so I don't even think my mom knew that she had anxiety until like after 2010. So that's 20 years that we, you know, I grew up and she also grew up learning to deal with ourselves as anxious without knowing that we were anxious, which... You know, it makes me feel bad for my mom that she didn't have those tools at her disposal um, to be able to acknowledge those things and to be able to do better, you know, for her her child, me. Um, and I don't blame her for that. You know, there's nothing there's nothing she can do about that. Um, but it does play a role in how I view my relationships today, clearly. Um, people with anxious attachments describe Internal feelings of emptiness, a need for external validation, attention, and reassurance, which definitely holds true for myself. I am a people pleaser. I'm always looking for external validation. I am constantly feeling empty. I constantly, I don't constantly need attention and reassurance. I think that's where some of my more avoidant tendencies come in. I tend to be a lone wolf. Um, I, I try not to get emotionally entangled with other people too much. Like the fact that I let my partner in um, was a huge time of vulnerability for me because typically I don't let people in like that. I'm like, a, I'm just caged up and like very, <laughs> I'm very like a hermit, you know, in tarot, like I am the hermit card and I'm a Virgo, which is ironic because the hermit, you know, and the Virgo you know about tarot the hermit and the virgo are intertwined so i am much 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 like my virgo hermit self and i think a lot of those avoidant tendencies come out um in that specifically i don't tend to look for attention or anything but i do need external validation whether that's at work and my bosses telling me that i'm like doing a great job and i'm constantly constantly seeking external validation from my parents which i never get spoiler alert i do not get it from my parents if you talk to my parents about the podcast that i'm doing or my twitch streaming or anything that brings me joy that i've been working hard on i do not get external validation for that whatsoever the only thing i think i've gotten external validation for is finishing college because that's what they wanted me to do so that's pretty much the only thing that I get validation for because that's, you know, it was in their plan, um, which is pretty hurtful sometimes, I guess. But, you know, it is what it is. I've learned to kind of not seek that from them anymore. Um, therapy has definitely taught me that they're never going to give me that. And so therefore I can't kind of wait around for it. So I find validation within myself and from my peers. And that's why when you guys give me feedback and are kind to me and, um, you know, compliment me on the things that I've accomplished or things that I'm passionate about, it 
it settles so deeply in my soul because, you know, I don't get that from the people who I should be getting it from. And so it means a lot when it comes from you guys, which explains a lot. (laughs) People can develop anxious attachments from... Let me readjust here. (laughs) Parent figures with chronic anxiety, which I did have. Also, I'm focused on anxious attachment styles because I don't really know too 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 much about avoidant um, and disorganized. We can always go into them in another episode, but I feel like anxious is definitely more in line with what I've been experiencing. So I'm focusing a little more heavily on that. Uh, But people can develop anxious attachment from parent figures with chronic anxiety, which my mother 100% had. I talk about my mother a lot because my dad, I think my dad is kind of the reason I, I float between anxious and avoidant because my dad tends to be a little bit more avoidant. Uh, But my mother in particular did have chronic anxiety. Um, They can also develop anxious attachment from parent figures who look to children to get their own needs net own needs met um, while neglecting the child's needs in the process. Um, This can look like, you know, if they need to go out and look good, um, you know, they'll tell the child, you know, if the child's sad or whatever, and they're going to a party, it can look like, well, we're going out. So you need to smile. Um, I don't want to see a tear in your eye. You're going to have to grin it and bear it until we're done because I don't want anybody to know that anything is wrong on the inside you know the outside just the outside appearance appearance has to look good regardless of how the child feels they can also develop anxious attachment from parent figures who are shut down cold and unresponsive which i think was definitely my dad so i had one parent who was chronically um, anxious and one parent who was very shut down cold unresponsive didn't really show emotions didn't really attempt to understand me or get on a to an emotional level with me and I don't know if that's how you know he was raised or brought up or uh, you know I'm sure his emotional I don't know what the word is depravity <laughs> I guess his I don't know I I think he his childhood has a lot to do with how he was brought up and how he re- behaves in our relationships but he was ultimately pretty cold and unresponsive um not all the time but when it mattered I think Uh, You can also develop anxious attachments from parent figures who expected children to raise themselves or their siblings, which is also called parentification. Um, If you have to raise your younger siblings, sometimes you can neglect your own emotional needs because obviously you're expected to raise other people. And so you kind of push your needs to the back burner, which is not healthy for children. You can also develop an anxious attachment from parent figures with unpredictable behavior. Um, If you ever had to walk on eggshells around your parents, um, that definitely makes a difference. I was always walking on eggshells. I became hyper aware of when my mother was upset just based on her tone, the way that I heard her footsteps walking throughout the house, the way that she would close cabinets, whether that was soft or hard. Um, these were all little micro clues that would make me hyper vigilant to understanding when she was in a bad mood. Um, And that's so unhealthy to always be tuned into somebody like that to regulate their emotions um, just based on how they're behaving with these little micro things. It's super unhealthy, but that's what I did growing up. You can also develop anxious attachments from parents who are highly overprotective or anxious. 
and also from parent figures who have like a Jekyll and Hyde persona. They're different in public than in home, but in the extreme sense. So I relate to this. The only example I can give is like my parents, we definitely had that Jekyll and Hyde thing where my parents are very different when they're at home. They are very critical. They are very negative. They are not enjoyable to be around when it's just us in the family. You know, my mom is very anxious and my dad is very, he's very dissociated from everything that's going on. Uh, But when we go out, you know, it was very hard for people, especially when I started talking about some of the trauma and neglect in my childhood. A lot of people were very surprised and to this day are still very surprised that my parents act very differently in public than they do at home. And so when I start talking about things that happened at home behind closed doors, a lot of people to this day have trouble believing me because when my parents are out, they're very relaxed, they're chill, they're fun. You know, when my mom is at parties and she's had a couple drinks, you know, you can spill liquor on the floor and, you know, she wouldn't bat an eyelash at, you know, spilling something in the kitchen or, you know, she's very laid back. She's very funny. She's very social. She's got a very big personality that can fill up a room and she's, you know, very over the top and, at home, she's quite literally the complete opposite. And it's funny because my dad as well is the same way. And he works for the school system and he is, you know, high ranking and the, you know, he's the principal of a school. He's been the vice principal of a school. And so his persona when he's at work is a very calm, laid back Um, very logical person who can handle any situation, who always has solutions, who is very educated. He's very patient with the children that he works with. It is very literally night and day how he behaves at work and with other people that aren't family. And then he comes home and he's very different with his family and his child. And he is very cold. He is, you know, he's illogical. He's uh, very emotional um, anytime that things do get heated. And so there is quite literally a Jekyll and Hyde personality happening in my household, whether my parents choose to acknowledge that or not. That is my reality. So that's what that can look like. And I've lived through it and experienced it. And that can help develop um, anxious attachments. All that being said, things that are common for people with anxious attachments are or thing, ways that this can manifest itself in our adult lives. Um, patterns that we can begin to see in our intimate relationships may be ghosting people when we get too close to them. So being fearful of that closeness and ending up ghosting people could mean that you have an anxious attachment. If you have an intense fear of being alone, Um, You have a high level of conflict within relationships, you have issues with communication, or you subconsciously sabotage relationships. And I think that's where my volcanic eruption kind of happened last weekend, where I did experience high levels of conflict and issues with communication. And I was afraid that I was going to be abandoned by my partner when um, these conflicts uh, arose, and I didn't handle them properly. And so it kind of erupted into this big emotional mess of like just needing to talk things out and being reassured. I think that was one of the few times that I really needed reassurance from my partner and attention just to 
feel like I could trust somebody and it was very difficult. And so I think it's, it's definitely a nod to my attachment style. Um, and I definitely saw that erupt last weekend. And I, I do think it all comes back down to how uh, things were handled in childhood. So another way that anxious attachment can show up in your relationships is there is a strong abandonment wound. Like I just said, you're really fearful of your partner leaving you because of this, that, or the other, which I definitely experienced. Um, anxious or suspicious of partners in relationships, not necessarily cheating all the time, but like I have issues trusting my partner because I'm very fearful that they're going to leave me um, or you know, get tired of me or get tired of my outbursts or my mood changes or whatever, even if, you know, they're completely manageable and he assures me that everything is fine. I still get terrified. Um, it can also show up in obsessing over partners, which is not something that I typically do, but it is um, a way that it can show up. Uh, saying yes to everything or overbooking, people pleasing, not having boundaries, self-betrayal or abandonment for love. So if you're you know, abandoning your morals or you're saying yes when you want to say no, that's self-betrayal and that's um, a sign of anxious attachment that how it's manifesting itself in your relationship and it's not healthy. Those things aren't healthy. You shouldn't be changing who you are to appease your partner and I think everybody knows that, but understanding where it's coming from can kind of make it a little bit more manageable when you're trying to come to terms with why you're doing the things that you're doing. I mean, sometimes people will just tell you like, oh, you know, you're, why don't you set any boundaries in your relationship? Why are you so scared to say no? Sometimes it's easier to be like, well, that's my attachment style and it's not how I have to be, but understanding it is sometimes the first step to being able to change it. And so I think it's helpful to just kind of know where that might stem from. And for me, I think it definitely stems from that. So being aware of it is always the first step. Awareness is key. And that way you can start to recognize it um, in your relationships and, you know, make an effort to, to actively change it if you're trying to improve that part of yourself. There are certain ways that you can start to heal about that, uh, start to heal knowing that you have these attachment styles. And obviously the first step is to learn more about them. Do your research, figure out what your attachment styles are, where they come from in childhood, how you were raised and how those things kind of affect you. I definitely think I learned avoidant and anxious attachment styles because my parents were very concerned with their own emotional states um, and less mine. It was a very, you know, they tell the child what to do and the child listens scenario. They never really helped me to understand my own emotional depth. Um, I experienced a lot of trauma when I was young. And the way that they handled that trauma or the way that they guided me to handle my trauma was not always the healthiest. And so because of that, I, th I do think I've developed a lot of anxious and avoidant tendencies. And I was very self-sufficient for a very long time before I met my partner. I remember telling him that, you know, I didn't depend on him. I had my own goals. I wanted nothing to do with him. I wasn't ready for a relationship because I wasn't emotionally available. And I was very much on the avoidant spectrum when I met my partner. And I, you know, was very hesitant to trust and depend on someone and I still struggle with that today and it's still an issue that comes up in our relationship that he feels like I don't trust him or like I can't or he's not dependable but it 
it's not a reflection of who he is. I think it's more of a reflection of how I was raised and how my attachment styles were formed. And I think that's important to separate because it helped me and my partner understand like, look, it's not you. It's not that I don't trust you as a person. I, I trust you and I love you. And, you know, you have given me no reason to doubt you. But I think a lot of people don't realize how difficult it is to change something from your childhood. Like this is something that you learned very early on in life. And, you know, one partner and one conversation isn't going to change that attachment style. You know, not to say that you can't have a secure attachment style moving forward or that you can't give that to your children, but awareness is the first key. You need to understand it. You need to see where they came from. You need to do your research and see, you know, what fits you best. And, you know, there's worksheets out there to help you um, heal once you figure out what your attachment style is. There are prompts and things that you can do in your relationships. Um, and it, there is advice out there for how to heal and move forward from these dysfunctional attachment styles. So I highly, highly, highly encourage you to do your research, get educated. You know, it doesn't take a long time. You don't have to write a whole college paper about it. Like the research that I did took maybe 15 minutes just to get the base information. And it so much stuff made sense after that. So just imagine what diving a little bit deeper can do for you um, in those things. Also, another way to start healing is to share it with your partner, even when it's scary. Learn when those things show up in your relationship. Be aware of them. I don't think I've talked to my partner about attachment styles yet, but I will do that. I am do as I say, not as I do. <laughs> but I mean, it's not to say that I d don't want to have that conversation. We just haven't gotten around to it. But um, my partner listens to the podcast, so I'm sure he'll hear it before <laughs> before anything. Um, but definitely be open with your partner. Communication is everything. And sometimes putting an explanation to your behavior can make the other person appreciate and see you a little bit clearer. You know, if you have the words to say instead of just, I don't know why I'm pushing you away or I don't know why I don't trust you. I just don't trust you. I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. Sometimes it's easier to have a conversation and say, hey, I think, you know, I have an anxious attachment style and sometimes it's an avoidant attachment style and it's nothing that you're doing. It's uh, what I learned in childhood and it's kind of how I cope with relationships in this isn't who I want to be. So let's work together to make it a secure attachment, you know, to have a secure relationship where I can be honest and vulnerable and we can learn to trust one another. But we are also able to be independent of one another. And I think that's healthy to do with your partner always. Um, and I think the biggest thing for healing is what the holistic psychologist said, which is to understand that there is nothing wrong with you, that we don't choose our attachment style. They are learned in childhood and to show love and compassion for yourself. And I think this is the hardest thing is like, you didn't choose to be this way. You learned this through your childhood and your interactions with your caregivers and the people who were supposed to meet your needs that's not your fault. You know, if you had needs that needed to be met as a child or an infant and they weren't met, there's nothing you can do about that. You can't go back and change the past. You can only change the future. And so giving yourself grace and reminding yourself that like, 
this isn't permanent. I can work on this. I can be aware of this, but it's not my fault. Um, is very important just to always give yourself grace. And you know that I am always the first person to tell you to just be kind with yourself. This is all a learning process. We get one life, one chance to do what we think is best. And so however you get to that end goal is how you're going to get there. And no one else should judge your experience or your path. So don't judge yourself too harshly either. You're, you're getting there. By listening to this podcast, you're giving yourself an opportunity to learn and grow and get a deeper connection to yourself. Hopefully, that's the goal. As always, um, you can find a therapist to talk to you about this if you feel like this is something that you're going to struggle with handling on your own. I always encourage reaching out to a therapist because you know, they have insights that you don't always have. And it's always easier to hear it from somebody who's on the outside, who doesn't have an emotional connection to the issue um, to kind of make connections for you and help you understand why you do some of the things that you do and how to go about fixing them in a healthy and productive way. So always find a therapist if you feel like that's something you need. And of course, learning to meet your own needs, to set boundaries, and then to honor those needs. So uh, for me, you know, we, my partner and I did talk about what my needs were and what his needs were. And they were reassurance. I needed reassurance that he was going to stay and work through everything with me as a partnership because we did commit to marry one another. And so, you know, I'm always fearful that I will be abandoned and we love each other very much. And so there's no reason why we shouldn't be able to work through our issues. And so, I needed reassurance and I need boundaries in my relationship and I set them all the time and so does my partner and my partner also needs reassurance and we figured that out because we we learned to meet our own needs we learned what we needed and we communicated that and you know at the end of the day I may not be able to rectify that with my parents or my adult figures which I don't think is something that you know, I've come to terms with the fact that I may not relinquish that relationship with my parents anymore in this lifetime. Maybe there's a chance that we will, but my my heart tells me that that might not be a possibility. And so I'm going to put all my energy into making sure that those attachment styles don't manifest themselves in my relationship and my relationship with my future children in a negative way. And so that makes me feel better that at least I'm doing what I can control, uh, which is myself and my relationship and my relationship with my children. And I will do everything I can to raise them uh, to have secure attachment styles. I will, you know, meet all their needs and communicate and listen to them. Um, I will never expect them to regulate my emotions or be fearful of me when I do have my very powerful emotions and you know, I'm sure I'll fuck up and I'm sure I'll make a ton of mistakes and I'm sure that I will be an imperfect human and sometimes I will have outbursts and I will remind myself of my mother. But, you know, at the end of the day, just having that awareness and trying to do better is really all that we can do. So be kind with yourself, be compassionate do your research. You know, if this was interesting to you, definitely go read up on some attachment styles. It takes a couple minutes to just do a little Google search, 
um, and see if there's anything that's manifesting in your adult relationships that you're kind of carrying over from childhood that you could work on to just improve yourself and be a better person and be a better person for your kids and for yourself and for your partners and, you know, your work and see how your life changes once you have that awareness and you're able to take the steps to heal yourself. Because I do think that self-healing is so important and it's such a beautiful thing that we're able to do today because of the internet, because of the accessibility that we have to this knowledge that we didn't always have. So utilize it, capitalize on it, make the best of it. You know, keep in mind that a healthier version of you is going to manifest and attract all those positive and wonderful things that you want, whether it's a partner, a relationship, uh, children, or, you know, you want to move up in your in your work life, you know, you want to climb the corporate ladder, whatever. I think that these are all very useful tools to get to know yourself better and just elevate your life. That's what I'll say. I think they're great tools to elevate your your life, your spiritual, your mental, your physical well-being, and it's never too late to make changes. So I will leave you with that. That was a lot more than I thought it was going to be. I didn't even get to get into it as deeply as I would have liked to, but I think it's a good place to start. So I hope you found something useful in this podcast. You all are beautiful. I can't wait to see you until next week. I don't know what the topic's going to be, but I will figure it out. As always, if you have feedback, you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, uh, or Twitch as Nina Pizza Queen. Most of those websites have link trees where you can access my Discord community, um, et cetera, et cetera. I make myself pretty accessible online, so it shouldn't be that difficult. You are all amazing. You all matter to me. You all have changed my lives in way my life in ways that you can never imagine. And, you know, I hope that this community continues to grow and tr- uh, encourage each, o- each other to be better, to do better, um, and just spread love. And I hope you have a great week. I can't wait to see you next week. Do something awesome for yourself. Do yourself a favor. Google attachment styles real quick. Uh, Google some tips you know, simmer on it for the next week and I will see you for the next episode. Take care, stay high, stay stony, stay wonderful. I'll see you next time. Bye.